Thanks, John. Y'all doing all right tonight? Yeah? It's fall. Are you excited? I love fall. It's my favorite season of the entire year. It's awesome. Um, and uh, not only because it's beautiful, um, but uh, just because of all the delicious things that we get to enjoy during this time of the year, you know? Um, I, was, uh, I was actually supposed to be uh, teaching at a retreat all weekend in King, North Carolina. Does anybody know where King is? You ever heard of King? There they call it Kang. You, if you're, you're only from there, you say Kang. But if you're not from there, you say King. So it's about an hour and uh, something, a few minutes past uh, Winston-Salem. And um, I got there Friday night, and uh, we were about to, to start our first session, and the power went out. And then the, the retreat center um, told the church that was having the retreat that they couldn't have the retreat anymore because the power was out for the whole weekend. And so we didn't have the retreat. Um, but I think it was a good call. Um, trees were falling down. The wind was crazy. It was raining sideways. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a little crazy. And I thought to myself, like, this is, this is the outer bands of a hurricane that hit landfall days ago, hundreds of miles south of us. And we're just now experiencing the effects of it in upper middle North Carolina. Like, that's crazy, right, to think about the power and, and to see the effects of that, right? And, and, and on the way home yesterday, like, I'm passing Duke power trucks just flying down the interstate, just lines and lines and lines and lines of them, you know? And, and so um, maybe, maybe some of you have seen the Facebook post, um, but something that, that Red Oak wants to do, um, Snowbird's going to help with as well, uh, and a ton of other churches are doing this as well. It's a beautiful opportunity um, for the gospel to, to shine and go forth um, and for believers to be the hands and feet of Jesus when there are natural disasters. Um, that's why Samaritan's Purse was started, you know, like whole organizations, like they run to areas that have been devastated by natural disasters and, and care for people, help people, provide relief. Uh, and so it's something that Red Oak and Snowbird is going to do is if you um, want to check out the list, you're going to get an email um, soon, if not tonight, tomorrow morning, about just the specifics of the list. You can look at the Facebook group to see um, how many different generic supplies you can bring um, and bring those to the metal building. Uh, but we're going to take a trailer down there to just provide. We're partnering with a church called McGregor in, um, was it, where the, it hit? Southern Florida. Fort Myers. We have a few people who are from Fort Myers um, who are here. But, uh, but yeah, and so um, that's just going to be an, an awesome way that we can just help those people who are going to the churches there who are on the ground because not all of us in reality can get down there and help them and, and uh, provide relief, but we can help by sending supplies and praying for those churches who are going to be reaching out and ministering and, and sharing the gospel. And while they're providing supplies and clothes and, and lanterns and, and flashlights, they can share the gospel, the hope and the light of Christ because it's a reminder that we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing, right? Like, like all the stuff that we accumulate can just be wiped away in a split second. And so um, let's pray We'll pray for them, pray for all the folks in Florida who are, who are recovering, pray for the relief efforts, uh, pray for our time together in the Word, and then we'll dive in together. So let's pray. Father God, we are, we are desperate for you. 
It is true that, that we have nothing of eternal value apart from you, Lord. And your word tells us that naked we came into this world and, and the same we will leave. Father, and this is just a reminder of how temporary life is on this earth. Forgive us for thinking so often about these, the things that we accumulate in life that will not last, Lord. And, and, and so many times we store up so many of these things, Father. And, and right now there's a lot of people who um, have lost it all, uh, Lord. And there's a lot of people who, who are wondering where you are. There's a lot of people who are questioning things in life and, and, uh, and, and thinking that, that they are lost and abandoned and, and, and will be forgotten by everybody else who wasn't affected by this storm. And I pray that, that as your disciples, your followers go and rush to this place that has been devastated, Lord, by this natural disaster, I pray, Father, for uh, eyes to be opened. Lord, I pray that, that gospel opportunity would, would happen and that people would step out in boldness, not only to, to give cups of cold water, but to give them in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, and that your name would be exalted, that people would turn from their sin and look to you, um, understanding that life is way more than, than just things in this world and houses and cars. And, and, and Lord, I pray that um, it would help us to have a, a, a greater kingdom perspective. Lord, that we wouldn't store up or focus on storing up treasures here on earth, uh, Father, but uh, that we would remember your gospel and seek to share it uh, Lord, and, and, and be your hands and feet, not only here, but uh, across the nation and the world. We praise you for this time that we have together right now to, to dive into your word. Uh, Lord, I have nothing to share that is of importance if your Holy Spirit doesn't speak through your word. And so I pray that you would speak, God, that you would unveil eyes, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, and that we would remember that you will never forget your people and that you are faithful. And we praise you for your steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Uh, it's absolutely amazing uh, when you think about it. <clears throat> if you think about Joseph's life, right, what we've learned so far in this narrative, right, Joseph's life has changed so much, Right? Not only like, has he changed and he's grown um, and years have passed, but like, his circumstances have changed. His situation has changed. His environment has changed. Right? He, he was a, a highly favored son, right? praised by Jacob in the land of Canaan. Life was good, and then he gets stabbed in the back by his brothers, metaphorically. Right? They, they sold him into slavery. They betrayed him. And, and, but then he finds success in slavery. He gets a position of responsibility. He was faithful, right? full of integrity. And, but then he gets punished for that. And, and we find that his, his situation has changed yet again. And in this chapter, the scene starts in prison. That's where it ended in chapter 39. That's where it starts in chapter 40, right? And the repeated refrain of God's presence in Joseph's life is a must-remember for us as we continue, like, through this narrative. We need to remember that. That's one of the major, like, themes and major points of this entire narrative is that God is with him. But as I was studying this, I was thinking, like, perhaps Joseph thought to himself, when are these dreams that God gave me going to come true? Right, like, because a lot of times passed, 
And if I look at my situation, if I look at the current environment that I'm in right now, it doesn't seem like those dreams are going to come true anytime soon. So I wonder how, like, what, what did that look like for him? Uh, and it seems like, if we look at it, if we try to put ourselves in, in Joseph's shoes, it seems like God's abandoned him because, like, he's been slandered, right? He, he's been unjustly judged. He's been punished for something he didn't do. He, he's endured, like, accusations, and he's innocent, right? It, it would be good for us to remember that God is no less with us when things are going well and when things are going poorly, Right? God, God doesn't change. Right? Our situation will change. Our environments will change. Right? Our circumstances will change as we walk through life. But God never changes. Um, this past week, Colt sent me a, um, a survey. And in the survey, it said that 48% of not only people in America, but evangelicals believe that God is not immutable. And so that's one of the major characteristics of God is his immutability. And what that means is that God doesn't change. Immutability is the unchanging nature of God. Not only that he doesn't change, but he cannot change, right? And, and so we see this here, and we need to, rem to remember that God never changes, right? Joseph's changed, his, his situation's changed, his environment's changed, but God never changes. And he, praise God for that, right? Because that's super important. That's encouraging for us that God never changes. And, and, and this is a massive character trait that we need to remember about our God. Uh, contrary to, to the false prosperity gospel belief that if you're faithful to God, he'll bless you, right? Joseph's faithfulness not only led him to the rise in success, but it also led him into where he currently is, into the pit, right? So the point is not Joseph's faithfulness. That's not the point of the text. God is faithful in success, and he's also faithful in suffering. God doesn't change if your life's smooth sailing, and he doesn't change if your life's a wreck, right? He hasn't changed. He never does. So, but we have to ask ourselves the question, do we believe that? Do I believe that God is with me and faithful when I'm being successful? Do I also believe that God's with me and he's faithful when nothing's going my way? Right? Do, do you believe that God is with you when life is calm, when you're at peace, when you don't have any like broken relationships? Do you also believe that God is with you when everything's a wreck and when there's disaster everywhere around and there's broken relationships everywhere and nothing seems to be going your way? Do you believe that? Right? We need to know from chapter 39 that God's people can trust God's presence with them at all times, right? Whether you are facing peace or whether you're facing adversity, right? God's with us. So in this chapter, in chapter 40, we're going to see that Joseph is forgotten by everybody but God. Joseph's forgotten by everybody but God. And so we're going to look at it starting in verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, sometime after this, when he was put in prison, the, the cupbearer, uh, some translations might say butler. So if your translation says butler, cupbearer, 
Sure. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So um, we need to remember Joseph's around 28 years old, like in a leadership role in the prison. Okay, so he's got some responsibility. He, he was elevated as a slave. Now he's elevated as a prisoner. But we have to remember that he's still a prisoner. Okay, this is not like a comfy, cushy prison. That word confined in these verses is, it's not comfortable. Okay, and I didn't know this, but Joseph is in the Psalms. In Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, it says this. He, God, sent a man, Joseph, ahead of them. Joseph was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So Joseph's life wasn't easy, right? The prison wasn't easy. Slavery wasn't easy. Okay, and the scene is set for us now in an Egyptian prison. That's where the location is. We're introduced to three men. Right? The, we have Joseph, we have the cupbearer, and we have the chief baker. And these are the high officials in Pharaoh's court. And so Joseph is innocent while these other two guys are guilty. Now, we have no idea. We aren't told what they did to offend Pharaoh. But they did something enough to where he was so mad he threw him into prison. But we know that they sinned against their master. Okay, so that's, they're getting punished for sinning against their master, committing this offense. And it's amazing to think that the actions, if you zoom out, it's amazing to think that the actions of Pharaoh throwing these two guys in prison is a demonstration of God's providence. That God was going to use that to lead Joseph out of prison and into a position of authority yet again. Right? God's going to use Pharaoh's actions of throwing these two dudes into prison for Joseph's deliverance. This is crazy to think about. So Pharaoh thinks that he's in control, right? In reality, God is in control of this entire scene. So let's continue reading in verse 5. One night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Take note of that, right? He saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? Maybe because we're in prison, bro. No, like this is a deeper downcast. Like he knew, like he saw that something was up with them. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So God supernaturally gives two dreams to these two men, right? And it's ironic that two dreams got Joseph sold into slavery and ultimately thrown into a pit. Right? Like now, these two men have two dreams that God would use to aid Joseph. So, possibly interpreting these two dreams, Joseph's like, could be my ticket out of here. God could be working through this. Notice also that even in slavery, 
right? Even in suffering, Joseph isn't self-consumed. This is fascinating. Joseph's not only looking out for himself, right? He's not throwing himself a pity party. He's not playing the victim. He's innocent, but he's not doing that, right? He even looks to the interest of others. He sees that these men are downcast, and he wonders why. He, like, he could have brushed it aside and be like, oh, yeah, we're in prison. I'd be, I'm pretty depressed too. No, he, he looks at them, and he asks, why? Like, why are you downcast? Like, why, what's troubling you? right? He doesn't ignore them. We could learn something from him here, right? And so he, he notices that they are troubled. He acknowledges their presence, right? Their plight, like your faith. Have you ever like been around somebody and you just feel it in the presence? Like you're like, that person's really down. There's like a, just a, a, a cloud of gloom around them. Like they, that's what these dudes are like. They're downcast, Right, He acknowledges that, and he cares for them enough to reach out and ask. And so he acknowledges, too, that it's not within himself to interpret these dreams. He doesn't say, dude, I can do this for you guys. He said, doesn't God, the one who gives the interpretation of dreams, tell them to me? Because God's going to give the ability to, to interpret that. And so he acknowledges it's, it's God's power that's doing, doing this. And it's also interesting to note, too, that Joseph hasn't lost his faith in God. He hasn't lost his faith that God will actually fulfill the dreams he gave me. Because I had two dreams. They haven't come to pass yet. So he hasn't lost his faith because he's still saying, hey, God, God's the giver of dreams and the interpreter of dreams. And, and so he's saying, hey, give yours to me, right? Even though like, he's still in a pretty jacked up situation, he still hasn't lost his faith. He still believes, he still trusts in the Lord. He knows that the future belongs to the Lord. The future belongs to God. God's in control. Joseph hasn't taken his eyes off the Lord. And so God can give through Joseph the interpretation of these dreams. And so the cupbearer goes first. Verse 9. The chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When I think about this scene, um, the first thing that comes to my mind, besides honestly, um, I don't know, has anybody seen the movie Coco? No? Okay. It's a Disney movie. It's pretty funny. But there's a, a song in it called Remember Me. That was the first thing that came to mind. But more seriously is another movie. I watch movies. I like movies. They're good. Um, the Count of Monte Cristo. Anybody ever seen that? It's a classic. It's a good film. Yeah. Um, so this young man, the main character in this movie, his name is Edmund Dantes. Okay. He's falsely imprisoned. And he's falsely accused of a by a jealous friend who he betrays him and sends him away 
to this prison called the Chateau d'If, right? Now, Dante, like Joseph, declares his innocence before the warden of the prison. And the, the warden prepares to whip him as his welcome into the prison for the first time, okay? And, and the warden says, if you're thinking right now, why me, oh God, why me? Like, how did I get here? He says, God has nothing to do with it. God's not in France at this time of the year. And Dante says in reply to the warden, he says, God has everything to do with it. God's everywhere. He sees everything. And Dantes is right, right? And we would be good to remember that. And Dantes would need to remember that too because he would spend the next 13 years forgotten by everybody in his life. Thought he was dead. Spoiler alert, he wasn't. He gets out. It's a great movie. You should watch it. Um, But because he was innocent, right? But everybody forgot him. And here Joseph is, with God's power, correctly interprets the dream and gives the cupbearer a good report, right? And Joseph also asks for him to remember him and tell Pharaoh about him, to tell Pharaoh how he was falsely accused, how he was taken out of his homeland of of Canaan, and to tell Pharaoh of his innocence. And that term that Joseph uses here is the, the term pit, Like, I'm not supposed to be in this pit. It's the Hebrew word bore, and it's used for well or cistern. Or you could also translate it dungeon, prison, pit. So Joseph's reflecting on how he didn't deserve to be tossed into the pit in the first place and how he also didn't deserve to be where he is right now. And so you could easily wonder, like, how, I wonder if, like, like, why is God allowing him to be in the pit? Like, did Joseph think to himself, like, could he, was he tempted to, like, spiral? Was he tempted to be in despair, right? And to think, man, God's forgotten me. But the commentaries are very clear. And they say that the little translation when Joseph says, remember me and show me kindness by remembering me and mention me to Pharaoh, that word kindness is the word Hesed in Hebrew. It's covenant faithfulness. It's, it's, it's a very rich word. It doesn't only, only mean covenant faithfulness. It means loyalty, steadfast love, right? Commitment, okay? And so this is, this is a, a very vibrant word that is not only here, but it's throughout the entire Bible. It's used in Psalm 136. It's used to describe God's steadfast love that endures forever, over and over again. It's an unchanging love. It's a steadfast love. This is Hesed. It's used in Lamentations 3, that often quoted verse 22, the steadfast love or Hesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's used also last chapter, chapter 39, verse 21, when we're reminded the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love even in prison. So has his circumstances changed? Nope. We're in chapter 40. That was chapter 39. God's steadfast love hasn't changed. Joseph's circumstances, a little bleaker. Here it seems that Joseph had great hope in God and that through the cupbearer, God would use this man to enact Joseph's deliverance from prison. But we know that doesn't happen immediately. Look at verse 16. When the chief cupbearer saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, 
There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered him and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. A little bit different from the cupbearer's interpretation. And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. But this was a massive condemnation. The, the exact opposite report that he gave to the cupbearer. And so he gave doom to the cupbearer while he gave hope to the, uh, he gave doom to the baker while he gave hope to the cupbearer, right? And then we see these final verses, starting in verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So Pharaoh, when it says he lifted up their heads, it's basically like he's, ha- he's having a party for his birthday and he's like, hey, let's bring out these guys I threw in prison. Right? And so he brings them out. That's lifting up their heads. And then he's, he says, let's kill him and reinstate him. Now, this could have been done for, like, entertainment, for his, uh, his partygoers, like for his birthday. Or you see this other, other places in Scripture as well. But Joseph's, the point is Joseph's interpretation of the dreams comes true. Like, what, exactly what he said came to pass for these men. So God gave him dreams, but he also gave him the ability to interpret other people's dreams. So clearly the Lord hasn't left Joseph. This is a reminder that Joseph's not alone, right? That the Lord remembers him. He's not alone. And did you catch the last part, look at that last verse of the entire chapter, verse 23? The cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So the chapter starts with Joseph in prison, and it ends with Joseph still in prison, left to sit in prison, alone, and forgotten. And you better believe that Joseph had the perfect opportunity to disbelieve the presence of the Lord and the plan of the Lord. We don't know. It doesn't say. We don't know if somebody came back and said, hey, dude, you interpreted those guys' dreams, and it came to pass. So he's sitting in in there, and he's like, well, I wonder how it went. They, They left. They're out of prison right? So he has every opportunity to fall into the sin of disbelief, right? Just like he had every opportunity to fall into sin and temptation last chapter. You know, like when I hear, like growing up, heard the story of Joseph, I was named after this dude, okay? So I knew his story, like very well, right? Like, you know what gets more press than anything in Joseph's story? It's the him getting away from the temptation of Mrs. Potiphar, right? Like, he, he escapes that. He resists those sexual advances from Mrs. Potiphar. And that gets more press than anything else in Joseph's life, it seems like. Often overlooked is this temptation right here in chapter 40. What's the temptation? To not believe. The temptation is to disbelieve. The temptation is to think, Man, where's God? God forgot me. God abandoned me. God's not here. God's not with me. God's not real. That's a very real temptation. 
And it seems like he had every opportunity to believe that God had forgotten him, right? Because the cupbearer did, and, and he was still in prison. The guys who were guilty get set free, and he's still in prison. That's a huge temptation. Are we willing to be faithful when it still seems like God has forgotten us? Are you still willing to believe when it seems like everything else is going against you? Even if everybody in your life fails you, even when it seems like everybody has forgotten you, God has not. That's when we need to take heart and, and remember that God has not forgotten you. Don't give in to the temptation that God doesn't care, that God doesn't see you, that, that God has abandoned you. Don't give in to that temptation, right? One, one proverb, it might be a proverb, maybe a psalm, says, how can, can a mother forget a, a baby that's nursing? No, like a mother can't forget that more than, than God's gonna forget you. Surely the Lord will not forget his people, right? The, God doesn't forget. He always remembers, right? How encouraging is that? Like that's reassuring for us as followers of Christ. Like God always remembers. I'm thankful for this because I have an absolutely terrible memory, right? Awful memory. I have to text myself, email myself, right? Set reminders, multiple alarms. I have a terrible remembering. Like, I can't even remember how to say that word, right? Like, my memory is awful. God doesn't forget anything. This is amazing. And not only does he not forget anything, but he keeps his promises, right? When I fail to keep some of my promises, my children, they're a great humbling tool. They remind me, hey, daddy, you told us that we were going to go on a bike ride. I said that like two weeks ago. Yeah, but I didn't forget. You told us that you were going to show us this. I, yeah, I forgot. You didn't forget, right? God doesn't forget anything. If he says he's going to do it, he does it. He's not a God that forgets. He keeps his promises. So even if, like say, your parents fail you, which they have, which they will, parents fail, right? God doesn't fail you. Even if you experience unfaithfulness from everybody else in your life, God is always faithful. Even if a friend stabs you in the back, right? God is faithful. He's not gonna betray you. He's not gonna stab you in the back, right? Even if everybody else in your life abandons you and leaves you, God's never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you. So our faith and trust needs to be primarily in the Lord who does not change, who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, right? Because he doesn't. He doesn't forget us. Like this steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It doesn't change because he doesn't change. We need to remember this. Now, how do I know that God's faithful? How can we say with absolute 100% certainty that God will not forsake us? How do we know that God will not forget us? Because in his wonderful, mysterious, sovereign plan, Jesus took our place. How could God, you might ask while reading a narrative like Joseph's, how could God let an innocent man sit in prison, forgotten, abandoned, suffering? How could God allow that to happen? Because 
only the truly innocent one, Jesus suffered and did not get delivered even though he deserved to be set free. Jesus helped everybody, right? Did Joseph help these guys in prison? Yeah, he helped them, he encouraged them, and he told them the truth, and they both got out, right? Joseph helped, but Jesus helped everybody, but he encountered what? Return, like he got hurt in return for when he helped. Joseph was falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused, Joseph was falsely condemned. Jesus was falsely condemned. Jesus was sinfully abused. And Jesus was murdered. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was forgotten. Jesus was forsaken by his own father, left alone in the darkness so that we wouldn't have to be. We love to see ourselves in the story of Joseph. We love to see ourselves as Joseph in this story but in reality, we're more like the chief baker, right? We, we have truly sinned against our master, the king. And we are most often not like Joseph. We're most often not faithful, steadfast, full of integrity before the Lord and trusting with our eyes always fixed on him, even when no one's watching, when we're left alone in the pit. We, you and I, have done what is wicked in God's sight. We've sinned against the Lord. We're guilty. We deserve to face the consequences of our own actions. We are just as guilty as the thief on the cross was guilty, right? When both of those guys were like, I, I deserve to be here. We deserve to be here. But the wondrous mystery and the beauty of the gospel is this. If we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and say, like the thief on the cross, remember me, Lord. Remember me. Forgive me for what I have done. Forgive me of my sin. Then God's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness and to cleanse us of our sins. We can truly know that we'll be remembered, that we'll never be forsaken by God, the God of, of Hesed. Praise God for Jesus. Right? I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to remember that God never forgets us. He never forsakes us. He won't let his people be forsaken or abandoned because he's a God of steadfast love. He'll never leave you because he never changes. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can cry out to him today and say, remember me, just like the thief on the cross. Remember me. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, and he'll do it. And if you do know the Lord, when was the last time that you agonized in prayer over your neighbors who don't know the Lord? When was the last time that you saw people who were downcast and depressed and lowly, and you reached out to them and didn't brush them aside, but you shared the hope and the comfort of the gospel with them, right? May we be a people who don't forget other people. Surely there are people in the room who feel forgotten. They feel abandoned. They feel like nobody remembers me. Even in a large room, people can feel alone. Nobody sees me. I pray that we would not be people who don't see people but that we would open up our eyes and not be so inward focused, 
that we would see other people who are downcast and that we would remember that we were remembered by our Lord so that we would know that they don't have to be forgotten because I'll never be forgotten. That should encourage and motivate us to live our lives in such a way that we see people who are downcast and we remember that we were once like them but the Lord remembered us. He rescued us. He set us free from ourselves so that we would not be so self-obsessed, so that we would not live for ourselves, but so we would live for others, live for the glory of the Lord. And when, you're, when you live that way, there truly is greater joy in that. Remembering that God remembers those who do good to others because he did good to us. And when we do that, it'll be glory for him, not for ourselves. It's all for him. So let's pray to the Lord. Father, we praise you for your steadfast love. God, we praise you that you don't change. We just acknowledge that we are so fickle, that we all too often shift and change that we all too often forget you, God, that we all too often abandon you. We abandon your word. We get so self-consumed in this world. We take our eyes off of you. We take our eyes off of your word. We grieve you, Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we feel distant from you and from others. And it's so tempting for us so many times to believe that we're abandoned, that we're forgotten, that nobody sees, nobody remembers, nobody cares. God, I pray that we would remember, Lord, that your, your word would come to our minds, that your Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance the truths contained here, that when everybody else forgets, when no one remembers, that you are a God of steadfast love, faithfulness. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And because of that, we can trust you. And I pray that we would trust you with our lives, Lord, and that we would share the great hope that we have in you, Jesus. Not only now, but for eternity with everyone that you bring into our path. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.